Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Brett Chisholm. I'm Josh Evans. And on today's episode, we discuss how easy it actually is in this modern era of internet shopping to put together an entire 747 piece by piece until you get everything you need to fly the queen of the skies, except for the fairy dust. And then Josh rants almost 30 minutes uninterrupted as he breaks down a film that follows the action video game format so closely that it just could not have been an accident. This is a movie that we both love and adore as much as the bottom half of Carl Urban's beautiful face, Dread. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett. <laughs> yeah. How you doing? I was doing pretty good until I heard you were uh, bumping mics with somebody else. Oh, yes. You know what? <laughs> I did just appear on another podcast recently. I was on a Have Not Seen This, and I reviewed The Devil's Rejects, which is should one of my not, favorite. Should we not save it for the content circuit? Because no, I, we, we can talk about I, it now. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm not usually the jealous type, but as soon as I heard you giggling with another man, another podcast host... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just it just made me feel things, man. It really stirred up all kinds of emotions. Well, hey, Brett, I've done forty-seven episodes with you, and I've only done <laughs> one other guest spot. But uh, no, Devil's Rejects is one of my favorite movies, and I won't be talking about it on this show because I did it on Have Not Seen This. So we'll link that in the show notes, and that show is a little bit more about like going through every beat of the movie and talking about it more in like a like an after-the-fact review fashion. Like, we don't really do that here. We do more of, like, try to sell the idea. So, you know, sometimes we talk about plot. A lot of times we just talk about stuff around the plot. But that that show is all about, like, everything awesome about the movie, things that are kind of crazy about it. And they just do that with, I mean, he's got a bunch of episodes with a bunch of different guests. So if you like movies, that's a great show. I've recommended it on here several times already. You have, and honestly, that episode was fantastic. I mean, you, I feel like you really strutted your stuff as a professional contentologist. I mean, they had that pop quiz about the movie, and you had like four out of four, correct? It, it reminded yeah. me of uh, uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, if you ever listen to the NPR news quiz, where they do yeah. like the rapid fire questions. Um, but yeah, it was a great show, man. And it, it made me realize, like, I think you brought this up recently. It might have been on the last show, or it might have been a non-recorded conversation but we were talking about um just how or you you brought up that we have different approaches to content and to entertainment and i'm only now realizing that but we also have so many similarities i mean you spoke on the episode about marvel movies superhero movies and i just like agreed with every word you said but i i wish i was more of a horror fan um but i'm I, you know i'm trying to i'm trying to dip my toes in those waters i know you've told me a few things <laughs> yes, lately <laughs> well what you up to how you been besides uh making the rounds on the on the talk show circuit getting dirty with other podcast hosts <laughs> uh, i've been doing great man i've been just uh living my life same thing i'm always doing taking care of babies watching their minds progress it's really interesting our uh, my one-year-old violet is now she is trying to talk and she'll today she just discovered recreational dizziness. 
which is <laughs> very funny to see a baby understand they're like oh i can slightly alter my consciousness by spinning around and this is kind of fun <laughs> it was a uh, it's pretty hilarious but i might have to keep an eye on her i might have a little addict on my hands a little dizzy addict yeah exactly uh so what age for horror uh ba- baby's I'm first probably, horror movie. Uh, probably five Three, five and a half five, five. okay Oh. Yeah, I don't want to push it too hard. I okay. mean, I am a I am a respectable parent after all. So That's... I'll save de- Devil's Rejects for like uh, maybe Isla's fifth birthday. That makes sense. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> What's new with you? Uh, nothing. Not a thing. Just been uh, consuming content. <laughs> Taking care of the dog. I'm living my life too. I don't know what else you want me to... I'll, I'll do something exciting this Brett, next week. Do something interesting. Do- <laughs> If for no other reason, so you got something to talk about during catch-up. I know. I took the weekend off skydiving. I'm pretty sad about it. Cause I got Usually, you're the one about. doing interesting things. You'll have it's like too, a It's too muddy for the one wheel. I'm still waiting for training at my other job. So I haven't flown an airplane recently. It's The, the stock market's closed this weekend. I got nothing to talk about. You're stuck in stasis. Hey, uh, I got an idea. Maybe you have like an off top or something you could. Uh, oh, that's a good idea. With I'm glad you reminded me. I, I do have one thing to talk about. Um, so, Josh, when I say whale tail sails, what do you <laughs> what do you think of? G strings. I knew you'd say that. You'd be wrong. Oh um, uh, well. In some circles, <laughs> I'd be right. That's true. I think I think with whale tail, most people would think of uh, underwear. Or um, aquatic animals nah. and, the, and their rear ends. Oh, but, yeah. There you uh, go. <laughs> but Whale Tail Sales is actually the username of the eBay seller that is currently selling various parts and pieces of a retired 747-400. Uh, as you know, I actually used to fly the 747, and I flew three variants of it. The uh, 747 LCF was the large carry freighter. Um, it was also known as the Dream Lifter, and it was specially designed to carry 787 parts, the Dream Liner, and the fuselage of the 787 is one piece that they made uh, somewhere. And so they, so Boeing made these four special airplanes to carry just basically that one piece. Even though it carried the tail, it carried the wing of the 787, it, it has that beluga look. Anyway, so I flew the LCF, the Dash 8, and of course, the 747-400, which the 400 is really as iconic as an airplane as you can get. It's the queen of the skies. So recently, Delta retired its 747 fleet in 2017. And actually, my uh, my friend Paul, who I was hired with at the cargo company I used to fly for, and I was on the 747 with him, he was actually on the final 74 flight um, he got a sat sit in first class and it was definitely an event. They had like a, they brought out a cake for the passengers and everything like an airplane cake. So back to whale tail sales right now, there are literally dozens of parts from this 747. That was the last to fly for Delta that had this whole farewell tour and everything. Um, and you know, I, I sent you a link to this earlier. I sent a link to the crew bar. But I just I want to throw this out there because before people go 747 part shopping, I wanted to help guide you in the right direction and and find some of the best items. 
sounds like there might only be one spot to do this. Yeah. Do you think <laughs> if you had enough money, you could piece together a 747 like a puzzle from it's, the cellar? <laughs> it would be a shell. Um, I don't think they're they're selling any of the important components that make an airplane actually fly, like the engines or um, any of the pneumatics, the hydraulics, the avionics. But uh, in terms of like the seats, the uh, window shades, the cockpit components, like you could spiral make... Spiral staircase. The st- That's the, the one staircase. I saw earlier. I didn't even yeah. know there was a spiral staircase in the plane. I mean, you could build like a, a ghost of a skeleton of a plane. They sell everything except for the fairy dust, which is what I always assume <laughs> airplanes use to fly with. You would be correct. Uh, <laughs> I knew it. All my experience with aviation, I knew I was right. There it is. Fairy dust. So don't blow 75 bucks on the air vent from the flight deck. Don't spend $125 on the, uh, it's quote, authentic pilot, co-pilot headphones, quote, uh, lame. <laughs> you could, you wouldn't tell that you, no one would know that that's a piece of the 747. I mean, it's, it's, that's crazy. These, they're just trying to take your money and, and, uh, probably buy a new, uh, not non seven four with it. But the, uh, you know, one, one I did see that was a little tempting cause it's cheap, the $25 oxygen mask, but you want to own a piece of avi- aviation history. You want people to know this is from the 747. So might I recommend the winglet, the engine cowl? They're 2500 bucks each, but they're oh. kind of cool. Pretty sweet. Is the winglet the little whoop, sweep? Yes, exactly. Upward swept wing tip? That is correct. That would actually be pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind it of looks like cool. an iconic aircraft piece. This kind of reminds me of, uh, what is it, wing nuts, that show where they used to build furniture out of like decommissioned airplane parts i don't know what it is but that sounds interesting wing nuts i think that's what it was called some it was like a discovery show after discovery stopped doing awesome things and just started doing like pawn stars and stuff like that this was a television show that was you're saying they just turned airplane parts into furniture and that was the entire premise of the show yeah you know like uh for a while i think it was after like West Coast Choppers happened, or American uh-huh. Chopper, uh, where kind of the show format of, oh, we'll just find a business that does something interesting, and then we'll just make a show huh. around them. It was like that. I, I don't know how long it lasted. Honestly, all I really know about it is what they did and what I think I remember the name of the show was. But I remember seeing some of the furniture, and it was like they'd have like a, you know, like a p51 mustang wing or something something crazy and they'd build like this big elaborate desk out of it which seemed like a pretty awesome piece of furniture to own wow i have not heard of this show i'm gonna have to check it out they're they're probably all over this ebay auction then i'm not making a recommendation from the content clearinghouse about okay wing nuts if that is what it's called because i've never watched it i just knew the concept okay yeah, um, your disclaimer is noted, and I'm still going to Google it later and uh, might check it out. Um, so for, for those of you with a little bit of a smaller budget that are not going to be acquiring these for the Wingnuts uh, Furniture <laughs> Studio, a couple cool items I saw, the tail antenna, which is just an antenna that was you know somewhere on the tail. I'm not sure which antenna it was. That was 250 
the E&E access door, the electronics equipment access door is um, pretty unique too. That was only 200 bucks, but it was like $300 with sh- uh, just for the shipping. So it was like more than double the, the cost. Um, but I'm personally a little partial to some of the interior cockpit items. So there's like the weather radar control panel, yaw damper switches, emergency descent device. We called that the inertial reel. All kinds of good stuff for about 250 bucks. But the fire shutoff switches from the overhead for 500 bucks, that would be really cool to have, especially since you've got, of course, four shutoff switches for the four engines. And it just totally represents the 747. And plus, I will always vividly remember using the fire switches in the simulator to shut down burning engines or secure failed engines and all that kind of stuff. Why do the fire switches represent the 747? Were they always bursting into flames or something? (laughs) (laughs) Why is that the most iconic piece? Well, I'm just saying that, you know, if you want to get the most bang for your buck, you want something that's so totally specific to the 747. And there's four fire switches for four engines. I mean, that's like, uh, yes. it's an easy way to tell that it's a 747 because it's big, it's got two decks, and it's got four engines. Um, so I was looking for those little items that were like especially unique, not an oxygen mask for 25 bucks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's boring. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Unless you really need it. Yeah, and, and then you're probably like, the greatest item bucks, I've ever held. That's a, that's a steal. Well, finally... If your budget is as big as your balls and you've got 15,000 bucks that you want to spend on something not useful at all, uh, you can get the complete overhead panel for 15,000. Whoa. The last one I did see actually uh, for a cool $5,000 was the throttle quadrant. So that would be another iconic thing to have. But once again, that's that's a big ticket item. Those are big budget items right there. Yeah, they're really going after like a specific set of it collectors here like people with a love of the 747 and infinite amount of expendable income well honestly if i had um 250 dollars that i don't know i could afford to just blow for no reason like i would buy one of these items i really would i think it's pretty cool but it's just a little out of my price range for something that's not useful uh plus i'm limited in space but i I would i think there's any cockpit yeah. space in your, <laughs> right. in your air spaceship. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that aviation enthusiasts are going to jump all over this. Um, and I mean, which goes to show if, if like the measly headset, which is not unique or specific to the 747 at all. And they're trying to, they're trying to hawk it for 125 bucks. Uh, you know, these are obviously overpriced, but they're expecting a lot of interest, but for, for like a throttle quadrant, or uh, E&E door or the uh, fire switches. I mean, th- those are pretty cool. Like, I think that's I think that's awesome. But you know, link. Uh, we'll put the link in the uh, in the show notes. Check it out for yourself. Whale Tail Sales is the seller. Uh, these underwear. are these are gonna <laughs> these are gonna fly off the the eBay shelves. Well, not without any avionics or uh, engines. It's not. We're gonna have to <laughs> ship it. Very dust fashion. <laughs> USPS. Hey, do you think that they got this 747 through some kind of like storage wars thing where they just bought like an airplane hangar, like sight unseen, and they cut the bolt, (laughs) cut the lock off and open it up? It's like, oh, it's the last 747 that was ever produced. No, I I mean, I think that this was, um, I don't know. I kind of want to do a little bit more digging, but I mean, this is definitely 
being done in conjunction with uh, Delta. I mean, Delta Airlines mm. retired this airplane and, you know, some people are stoked about this idea. I've actually, I will link uh, to this article as well. I guess some aviation enthusiasts are a little upset that they're just shredding this plane for like, uh, not, you know, novelty items. But I mean, otherwise it's just going to either get scrapped anyway or sit in the desert somewhere. So totally. I like this idea. Um, so I, I don't know if it's like somebody that works for Delta or Delta just like went out and found somebody that like sells airplane parts. Cause I'm sure it's a pain in the butt, um, to, uh, the logistics of this to ship these things of various weights and sizes. And so, but I'm, you know, I'm sure it was Delta mechanics that just piece by piece took things out and, and then <laughs> some genius that came up with the name whale tail sales is deciding what <laughs> price price points might interest people. Um, I feel like and- that name probably <laughs> existed before this stuff went up for sale. Uh, <laughs> it might've, it might've. Might yeah. It seems it seems a little too perfect for uh, the whale, the 747. Um, the other thing I was going to tell you, I just realized this is episode 47 of the podcast. What a little synchronicity there. Yes, it is. And I was just thinking, we have our 50th episode coming up. If anybody wanted to get Brett like some sort of maybe commemorative gift, you could buy him that uh, overhead cockpit panel <laughs> that he's always been dreaming about and just send perfect. it off to the content clearinghouse. That's right. I like that idea. <laughs> so what's on your uh, content circuit lately? Oh, man. I uh, I just kind of randomly discovered this movie the other day. It's called Black Death. It's uh, oh. It's like a period piece from the 1300s, like when the Black Death was ravaging England. And uh, it's like this... It's like this genre bending film. I had no idea what to expect. It's got Sean Bean in it, who is like always awesome in everything he does. You know, he's in Game of Thrones and he was in Ronin. He's in a bunch of movies, Bravo 2-0. And he kind of like his thing is he always dies in every movie. That So I was like, oh, I wonder if Sean Bean dies in this movie. But it's like, it's these, it, they're like these Christian soldiers that are sent out to investigate this village that seems to be like untouched by the the bubonic plague and so it kind of goes through like their thought uh, thought process as these like religious warriors and they go through like various areas they see people like being burned as witches and all like their reactions to that and then once they go into this village it almost goes from like this period action type movie into almost like a horror movie it is very interesting, and I would have never watched it if it hadn't just been available to me on Prime. So I would definitely recommend that. It was the kind of movie that when I finished it, I was like, oh, hold on. I need to go to the Wikipedia page. I need to research the Black Death. I need to research the time period that this happened in. And then I need to watch this entire movie all over again. Like Doing this show has completely changed the way that I consume content now. Now, like without without even realizing it, I'm doing all this extra research for everything I watch because I feel like putting together this show has just made me appreciate content in an entirely different way. And that was like the most recent example where I didn't even realize I had switched over to Wikipedia and I was researching all this stuff until I'd been doing it for about 10 minutes. I was like, wow, I was just 
accidentally writing an outline for this thing in my head. Cause that's how, that's just now how I watch movies and read books. It's, it's really interesting the way it's changed that. Did this make you have a different perspective on, uh, coronavirus? I mean, I, I don't know. It seems like an obvious connection to watch pandemic type films during this period of time. Well, I did, I did look up cause I was, I was researching uh, the bubonic plague. And then I just researched like every known plague that in recorded history. And so many of them were bubonic, like going back to, you know, like 6,000 years ago or something like the beginning of recorded history. And it made me really appreciate the time frame that we live in because these guys, like when the black death was happening, they thought that it was like, like a, a religious curse or something. And they had all these stupid ways of like trying to prevent you from getting it. Like the plague doctor mask, which oh, is yeah. like the iconic, like the bird mask. Like they thought that the plague was transferred through the ether or through the air, or through the smell of it. So those plague doctor masks had like garlic and flowers and stuff stuffed into that nose. That was that was why that nose existed. So they could stuff stuff in there that made it smell different because they thought that if you smelled the dead bodies that had the plague, that's how you got it. And at the same time, they're wearing that. They're like digging into these corpses with their exposed hands and like getting blood all over their face. It's, <laughs> oh it's just God. like, it's so ridiculous. It made me also think like, I, I couldn't turn off the part of my brain that understood how bacteria is transferred. And so, you know, just watching this film, which it seems like they did a lot of work to make it period accurate, they just had no no regard for keeping bodily fluids off or out of them. You know, they, they're like hand-to-hand fighting, and then they like kill the guy, and they like open up his, you know, his arm, like, oh, he's got the boobos under his armpit. And then they're like, oh, yeah, hopefully we didn't accidentally smell him. You know, they like have no idea what's going on. So well, that made me appreciate the time we live in. Yeah, there was, um, it might have been a nurse actually that, uh, or maybe it was a doctor that realized washing their hands after, you know, handling a dead body before delivering a baby, babies wouldn't die as often because usually like a very high number of babies would die during childbirth or they would get sick and die right after childbirth. Um, but it was like an affront to the medical community and incredibly insulting if, uh, you know, to suggest that you have dirty hands as a doctor. So, you know, it's, it's interesting how ego like literally got in the way of scientific progress. Um, I I don't remember the details about that, but I'm sure you could look that up online, but I was going to say, I'll, I'll have to check this out because Sean Bean the OG Stark in Game of Thrones. He's he is indeed fantastic in everything that he's in. Yeah, very cool. He, I'll check that out. He plays a character where you're like, in the beginning, you're you're you know you're on his side, and then towards the end, you're like, this guy is fucking nuts. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> oh, a really no. good character turn. It's awesome movie, man. Are there are there any uh, those plague doctor masks in this? Yeah, they're all over yeah. it in oh, the beginning. God, those are so creepy. Now that I know there's garlic stuffed in there, that's that makes it worse for some. That's reason. so you don't get Plows that ether up in you. That's right. So what about you, man? What have you been uh, watching, reading, playing? Well, I I did tell you about uh, about something 
that I watched recently. Well, first I'll say, uh, really, the three things on my content circuit was was the episode sixty six of Have Not Seen This. Fantastic, check it out. Devil's Rejects. Uh, <laughs> and um, let's see, I had a Thor day um, while I was star- staying at Bree's parents' house when I had to run some errands um, in Denver, and that's when I saw you, of course. I had this really super lazy day, and I wanted to watch Thor: The Dark World or whatever it is, the second Thor. Because never thought, seen that one. It's like the only dude, I had, MCU I, film I haven't seen. I don't think I. I, I don't think I had seen it. I'm not Why sure. Would I, you? I, I, I. I've heard it's the worst MCU film. It doesn't. You know, you don't really need to watch every MCU movie to get it. But I was like. I mean, I've seen the other MCU movies literally multiple times. I had nothing. I had to get done that day. But to watch Thor The Dark World, I decided I needed to watch Thor and then The Avengers just to catch myself up. So I watched <laughs> I watched three <laughs> movies in one day. Just Didn't to even watch. get to Thor The Dark World? <laughs> I did. By I the did. Time it, it, wasn't came up. it wasn't great. Was it wasn't great. Watching Avengers, watching Avengers for like the 10th time, it's totally worth it. Um, but no, the, the uh, final piece of content on my circuit right now, I watched it last night. Uh, in bed, uh, martyrs. Oh man! Kind of notoriously. <laughs> kind of notoriously. The I don't know. We, how do we? How do we discover this? I've this has been on my radar for a couple of years. I think I googled like the world's scariest horror movie or something like that. Is that how you stumbled across it as well? Yeah, because I was like getting like really desensitized to horror, and I was like, I wonder if there's anything like really scary or twisted out there. And uh, martyrs. And another film, which I will not watch, a Serbian film. I'm sure you've run across oh, that one. I've, re- I've read about that. I don't horrible. even want it. I don't want that in my head. Yeah. But uh, just reading about it was bad enough. If you guys want to know what a Serbian film is, go and research it yourself. But yeah. Martyrs, I was like, I had seen clips of it and stuff, but I'd never watched it. And then one night, again, two in the morning on Prime, I was like, I was kind of like, all right, I'm going to do this. And I like ding. I bought it and uh, I watched it once, and I was like, "Well, I don't ever need to see that again either." Okay, I have to say something. I thought it was great. I it was thought a it great was movie. I don't fanta- need to see it okay. again, though. Yeah, no, it's very well done. Very okay. I thought it was so. I read online. It's very polarizing. I was surprised to hear some people call it torture porn, which you know I consider like Saw to be like torture porn, which is just you know gratuitous graphic gore for the sake of that this i i'm surprised anybody would compare this with that type of horror this to me seems squinting at you right now like a like i honestly i i don't think it it was it all had a purpose and a point for the narrative for the storytelling um and to like get a visceral reaction out of the audience um but man i, by I thought the it was same a argument yeah. I wouldn't call the first saw torture porn either then by that same argument because the first saw also the first hostel I knew those you were the bring two this like up. yeah I, I I know what you mean the, like yeah. those two movies have like a really well thought out plot I, I like both of those movies but then like as you get further and further into those series they just devolve into this is just about the torture effects but I'm surprised to hear you say that because there is a good part of mort- martyrs that's just nothing but torture, which it does have a point. Yeah, but it wasn't. Um, I don't know. Like, I felt like Saw was like so. Um, they tried to really like be 
incredibly creative in how disgusting the type of like torture traps elaborate schemes are this you know the the long sequence of torture was just like beating this girl that was Re- you know, realistic torture it seemed like yeah very realistic but very straightforward and it wasn't it wasn't a like sexual abuse it wasn't like anything it was literally just like punching and slapping this person over and over and then like feeding them so they stay alive and then you know and it like it was so um i don't know detached and and like uh it wasn't like it, it wasn't inspired or motivated by like hatred or passion and if you watch the movie you understand that there it's it's for a whole different reasons for a whole different purpose that fits into the narrative but um and so i don't know if you, that makes it like more chilling, but to me, it was like not torture porn. It was like very, very effective. I don't know. I thought it was great. I actually, I do not like horror movies. I thought this movie was fantastic. I really uh, was surprised how much I liked it. Yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I definitely wouldn't call it a bad movie. I would just call it a movie that I only needed to see once. Like there's <laughs> a certain type of horror to me that's like really fun. Like, uh, like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot movie, even though it's completely stupid. It's like one of my favorite horror movies just because the effects are awesome. I really like the just the the whole concept of it. I've never seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is a no as a I was crime. just gonna ask. I was gonna <laughs> ask if you'd finally seen the original yet. I haven't seen it yet, parts of it, but I know that's a total crime for a horror lover. But I really like the remake because it's just like a fun movie. It's it's just like an awesome kind of horror romp. And when I watched Martyrs, there were parts where I was like, man, this is way too real. And the end of it, which we won't spoil, has one of the most elaborate tortures I've ever seen in a movie, like as far as effects go and like just the concept of it. It's extremely twisted. Which I, I really thought, I thought that part was awesome. But you know, like the, yeah. the sequence in the middle with the extremely realistic torture, to me, that was more disturbing than anything I ever saw in a Saw or Hostel film. Because those, they're, it's easy to detach from reality with those because you're like, no one is ever going to build a reverse bear trap that breaks the top half of your head off. It's not going to happen. But you could very easily be captured, placed into a basement, and just beat and force-fed so you stay alive just to extract the maximum amount of suffering from you. That's something a human could do very easily. Just a little bit of chloroform, take you off the street, and there you are. Brett's in a torture basement. <laughs> oh, God. Well, on that <laughs> note, why don't we take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll get into some content. Ooh, content. Hello, listeners. Don't hit the skip forward button just yet. This is not an ad. This is a call for you guys and gals to get involved with the show. So we want to hear from you about your favorite pieces of content and why they're the best. Or you can even tell us if you've checked out a piece of content because we recommended it and uh, if you loved it or not. So contact us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com or on Instagram or Facebook at The Content Clearinghouse. And we will read your letters on the air right here. Thanks so much for listening. We love you guys. Okay, back to the show. Ooh, content. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. Um, I am not currently chained in a torture basement, but I am uh, eagerly anticipating whatever Josh is going to be talking about today. 
Oh, you do this show on your own accord? I was, I, I was sure someone was forcing you to be on the show. I, the, okay, I'll admit it. I, my ankles are chained, but I, you just didn't know it because my <laughs> hands are free. I can see this on Zoom, but you have no idea what's Mando going on. Mando is the waist slowly, <laughs> he's slowly licking through to the bone on your, the soles of your feet. How many licks does it take to get to the bone of my big toe? So, Brett, I told you I've been on a little bit of a movie kick lately, and I uh, I typically try to rotate my content pieces to cover like the entire gamut, you know, movies, shows, video games. You know the song. I do. <laughs> but uh, so Elite Dangerous has been eating up all my game time lately. I just can't get away from that game, and I couldn't really do an entire second show about that, even though I probably could off the top of my head. And I'm still finishing up The Lost Fleet for the third time. So right now books are out. So movies it is. And I've been watching (laughs) some really good ones. Now I said, I know at the beginning of the show, I said that we don't typically cover the plot of movies. But to discuss the movie that I'm talking about today, the way that I want to discuss it, I have to spoil this movie. But I'm telling you, it is fine because the plot is not the star of this show. The plot is kind of a supporting character for what really makes this movie amazing. And what makes this movie amazing is the structure of it and its referential nature to interactive media or third-person action video games. And the point of this show is to sell the idea of a piece of content. And so by telling you almost every beat of this film, I believe it's going to make you want to go and watch it even more. Like Most likely, again, if you've already seen this, because if you like extremely well movies, you may have come across this at some point. But uh, what I'm going to talk about today is the 2012 film Dread. Have you seen Dread? You're talking about the Judge Dread remake. Exactly. With, uh, yes. With uh, what's his name? Uh, Carl Urban. Oh my god, I love this movie. Or <laughs> Carl Urban's chin, since you never see his face. I absolutely love this movie. It is one of the best and most haunting films. I have ever seen. It is fantastic. Another Game of Thrones act uh, actor as well. But I'm uh, sure you're gonna indeed, get into that. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, if you haven't seen Dread, it's most likely because of its association with the absolute travesty, Judge Dread, the uh, Sylvester Stallone film. I can't imagine ever picking a Stallone film for this show, except maybe <laughs> Rambo: First Blood, because that actually is a great movie. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. So put that association of the Judge Dread Stallone vehicle out of your mind. This sure, is the sure. definitive cinematic dread experience. This is it. This is it. But before this we get it. into it, I'm going to give you a quick synopsis of the film. So when I start breaking this down piece by piece, you'll understand where I'm coming from. So Dread, the 2012 version, takes place in a futuristic U.S. It's following a nuclear attack that's left most of the world uninhabitable. And most of the population is concentrated into these megacities. So Megacity 1, it's this sprawling metropolis of 800 million people. It goes from Boston all the way to Florida. And the city has over 17,500 crimes reported daily. And the only people holding the line are the judges. So they're, they're these law enforcement officers. They do the job of judge, jury, and executioner. That's they're right. Like brutal upholders of the law. So we already discussed Carl Urban's chin plays Dread. 
He's the legendary judge. <laughs> he always gets the job done, usually by killing people. And then there's uh, Olivia Thurlby. She plays Anderson. She's the rookie. And she's a mutant. She has psychic powers, these futuristic psychic powers. And uh, she is being trained on her first day by Judge Dredd. And the two of these guys are responsible for... Uh, they they respond to this triple homicide in Peach Trees, which is a 200-story tower known as a mega block. It's basically a, a self-contained city in its own right, and it's run by the drug queen Mama, who is played by, as you mentioned earlier, <laughs> yeah. Lena Headey from uh, Game of Thrones. Cersei movie, Lannister. Why is she exactly. always such a great bad person? Like, oh my gosh. Because she's an awesome bad guy actress. Ooh. Although, you know what? In the first Purge, she plays yeah. not a bad guy. Oh. Which was kind of weird. It was a little off-putting seeing her play like a normal, <laughs> like a good character. Yeah, but oh the uh, the movie is, is kind of one of the best anchored. villains. Yeah, oh. she's she's good, the mother of Joffrey. But the movie is kind of anchored by the, the those three performances: Carl Urban's chin, Olivia Thirlby, <laughs> Lena Headey. So this film was directed by. Pete Travis, who did The Gunman. I don't know if you've seen The Gunman with Sean Penn, but it's also like really awesome, kind of like an understated action film. And it was written by Alec Garland, who wrote uh, Ex Machina and Annihilation, which I I haven't seen Annihilation. It's good. It's good. It's weird. Ex Machina was one of the best. Ugh, loved it. Yep. And this film is based off a comic book, which is kind of like an obscure British property from the 70s. It was meant as a commentary on blind justice and the rise of the draconian surveillance state in England. Oh, weird. And if you've Still applicable seen the today. film, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's it's very applicable today with the way like the NSA works with like data collection. That's pretty much like how the judges work. They use every means possible to track down the bad guys and then they, it doesn't seem like they even bother with due process. Their due process is basically like what kind of ammo do they want to select when they shoot the bad guy. <laughs> so as you can imagine, action ensues. This is all an excuse for some awesome action. So I had this idea, what I'm going to do for you today. When this came to me, I thought, surely I'm not the first person that has made this connection between Dread 2012 and the third-person action game genre. So I researched it and there is nothing out there. And then I thought like, this would make an awesome article. I was kind of bummed I couldn't read that article. And then I realized, wait, I have a platform. I can just make this article myself. I can, I can draw all these connections and present it. So that's what I'm going to do. Interesting. So I propose that Dread is a film constructed as a love letter to modern day third person action games. It's a perfect cinematic example of all the design sensibilities the tropes, the mechanics that go into creating a great action game these days. Something like Batman, Arkham Asylum, or Arkham City, Arkham Knight, any of the Batman games, Gears of War, Uncharted. If if you know anything about video games, you've heard these names because they're some of the best games ever made. So let's talk about... Yeah, I I do remember, it has been a while since I've seen Dread. It is one of those movies I've watched multiple times and recommend to anybody that likes sci-fi. Um, but I do feel like I remember a lot of like point of view action shots, uh, with like the gun raised, just like a first person shooter. Oh, it's way deeper than that. Oh, I'm I'm sure it is. You're going to want to go and watch this tonight when I lay this out to you, because you've, you played quite a few games in your day. You and I have played a lot of games together. 
And when you see these connections, you're just going to be like, yep, I need to go and see this breakdown right now because this is, it's way too good for it to have been an accident. Interesting. Yeah, I always look for a, an excuse to watch an excellent piece of content. You got me to watch Martyrs, so you're definitely going to get me to watch Dread for the 10th time. I'm quite the salesman. That's right. So let's talk about action game structure first. So action games tend to follow some very specific philosophies. So a traditional story-driven action game takes place along a fixed path with various options for offshooting slightly from the game path and the game references occurrences acts outside of the game world. So it gives you the, uh, the appearance that what you're doing this kind of like along a rails action game is taking place in a larger world. And they typically start with like a training level. It introduces the mechanics. It's followed by increasingly difficult battles with these standard enemies. And these typically escalate introducing new combat scenarios and they reach a crescendo with some sort of, sort of special enemy type, like a boss character. And that tests the, your familiarity with all the current gameplay mechanics. And in this gameplay loop repeats for the length of the story with some slight variations and action set pieces, finishing with a final battle against a unique enemy type, the final boss. And the, the player will control a, what's essentially a one-man army, a character with the unlikely ability of taking on hundreds or thousands of enemies single-handed and, you know, or perhaps like with the help of a friend, because these games are, they just scream to be played co-op. And throughout the game, new mechanics, weapons, tools, they're all introduced, things like weapons and combat abilities and new equipment, like healing tools. And Dread follows this formula almost too perfectly. It's, it's, it had to have been created this way. When I started to realize this, it just kind of like blew my mind. I went down a rabbit hole thinking of every third person action trope I could remember. So full on spoiler alert. Remember people, this is going to be every beat of the movie. When I'm done, <laughs> you won't mind because like I said, this movie is not about the story. It's about the spectacle and the craft that goes into creating a movie that follows this formula. Also, this show is about making you want to consume the, this content and having this take on this movie would make me want to go out and watch it immediately. And when we're done, I want you to let me know if this makes you want to go watch the film again. So okay. you've been warned. All right. All right. So the story takes place in a larger world, but the game world is a walled garden. It's encompassed by the blast door protected mega, mega block of peach trees. It's essentially an entire city contained in one vertical structure. Now the intro level is it's a bike riding scene and it's a one-off action sequence. It's like a unique gameplay mechanic, something known as a cold open. It's basically an intro action piece that kind of piques your interest and primes you for everything else that follows. And a great example of this type of theme thing is the beginning of Uncharted 2. It's a, there's a train crash on the side of a mountain and you're doing all this like climbing and running through this train hanging off a bridge, stuff that never really comes up in the game again other than you know the the idea of climbing and it's it's just a total spectacle that makes you think like okay this game that i just signed on for is going to be amazing and this scene also introduces the driving force for the story which is the drug slow mo that slows time for the user and results in some amazing effects it's it's just like the slow mo is just hitting the streets and it's kind of the hook that draws the player characters into the narrative also slow mo is a gameplay element that takes the form of a power up 
but it's an enemy-induced one. A lot of action games use the bullet time effect. Pretty much ever since The Matrix, you'll see bullet time in video games. And since slow-mo puts the enemies at such a disadvantage, this quote-unquote power-up is actually activated by the enemies several times throughout the story. When It's most of the time when Dread gets the drop on people like in a breach and clear scenario. So after the cold open, you're introduced to Anderson, who is the second playable character. She's the rookie, and she has the futuristic psychic abilities. So the introduction of psychic gameplay elements for the second player gives the uh, the second player kind of an individual take on their gameplay. So it's a way that kind of like allows the second player to be different from the first player, and it gives you a little bit of ownership over which character you choose. Like, are you the straight-up action character with dread or do you choose the more defensive like the the cerebral character whose gameplay involves like this puzzle type element with the psychic abilities in anderson plus her psychic abilities uh they get interference from the standard issue judge's helmet that dread never removes which we've mentioned a few times already and uh that's actually her not removing her helmet is actually two action video game tropes in one so the first is Dread's helmet, which always stays on. That kind of depersonalizes the main character. And that's something you see like in Halo. You never see yeah. the Master totally. Chief's face. And that kind of creates a blank slate for the player. 100%. Also, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so that's really common in games. But also, the story-justified excuse for the female character to wear less equipment than the man is something you see all the time in video games. Yeah. <laughs> It seems like it's like a clear choice by the director to have Olivia Thirlby's face on screen because she's extremely beautiful. And that's exactly why video games do this as well. It's an excuse to sexualize the female characters. Like the, the game, well, the movie is more subtle than a game would be. They're just showing her face. But to see like a perfect example of this, we'll link this in the show notes. But look at the video game Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain. There's a character named Quiet who's basically a sniper that's dressed like a stripper. And uh, she's she's in a war zone wearing like fishnets and like a <laughs> bikini top and like a whale tail sail. Oh, there you go. So, <laughs> and the, the reason they do this in uh, in Metal Gear Solid is this stor- story, quote unquote, she has a parasite in her body that makes her have to breathe through her skin. And I remember like when it first came out, everybody was like, complaining about her character like oh it's just gratuitous and and the creator said oh just wait until you hear the story reason and then when it came out you're like nah i mean it's pretty much you just wanted to make a stripper character like right. you should have just owned that <laughs> exactly now now let me ask you about dread's helmet because all of the uh judges in universe if i remember correctly like they all wear the same uniform basically they all wear the same helmets there is there uh in-universe explanation that is laid out for the viewers about that? I mean, I, I imagine it's like to protect their identity and to depersonalize them. Like, they're not supposed to be a uh, seen as a human being. Like, they're a symbol. Like, they are basically exactly. like, uh, I mean, they're, they're a police officer and a jury and a judge, like, in our life, rolled into one but turned into a super robot and made to, I don't know. But do they explain that? I, I like, mean, not I not like in so a, many words, okay. but like what mm-hmm. you're saying, like your take on it is exactly why. Like they want them to be completely depersonalized right. to the population. And 
what I, uh, the next thing, the next trope that comes up is the fact that uh, there is a training level at the beginning of most video games. And right at the, right at the top, when he's introduced to Anderson, he starts laying out the game world, the rules of the world that mm, they're in. That's right. The same thing that would happen in a video game when they're training you, like, press A to jump, press B right. to duck. And one of the things he tells her is that losing her helmet or not wearing her helmet would be an automatic fail. And she tells him like, Oh, it interferes with my psychic abilities. And he just kind of like grunts. So he like yeah. kind of gives her a pass, but right. uh, yeah, it's definitely like, it's something that they're absolutely supposed to have on, but she's a mutant. She has these other powers, so she doesn't wear it and she's hot. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, once they reach peach trees, the mega block, uh, the action like kicks off with them capturing one of Mama's lieutenants, this character Jay. And this is a breach and clear mission. It's a slow-mo enhanced battle sequence. So like right at the top, you're getting some of the bullet time fighting that would make a game like this so awesome. And when they capture Jay, this kicks off the escort mission portion of the game. As the judges attempt to leave with Jay, they're going to take him for questioning. And Mama, she locks down the building because taking Jay is basically going to give the judges all the information about her operation. She can't have that. She can't have that. So the judges are basically left with one option. They got to fight their way up and out. They got to get to mama, which is bam, video game design 101 <laughs> levels leading up to a final boss. Yeah, for sure. Like literally they're working their way up from level from the ground level. Exactly. <laughs> up, up numerically to the final boss. Now, video games have repeatedly toyed with the escort mission over the years to various degrees of acceptability. Like, escort missions and games have kind of become like a bad word. They've suffered from things like poor AI and poor pathfinding, like you're the person you're escorting getting hooked on geometry, and then stupid AI characters getting in your way. They're basically like, it kind of it made you feel like the game wasn't playing smoothly by its own rules. And there was a certain time in video game history where if I saw escort mission, I was like, skip, I'm not playing that. But there's a few games that have built their entire mechanic around this. Uh, and some of these games were again, some of the greatest games ever, something like the last of us or half-life two, these like last of us is almost an entire, you know, 30 hour adventure escort mission. So there is, it's the kind of thing like you, you kind of take that trashy design, element and turn it into something great and you have like a masterpiece on your hand and that's what happens here the mission objective becomes escape the building with jay and use him as a source of information and this of course triggers wave after wave of npc trash mob enemies to <laughs> fulfill the action game genre's need for extended bouts of combat and action couldn't have said it better myself so one of these scenes, uh, uh, one that stands out is the first one. It's a set piece where they're ascending the stairs. So they're battling these NPC enemy characters, or trash mobs, if you will. And those are basic enemy types. They're differentiated just by the weapons they use and maybe like the clothing they wear. And this introduces uh, a staple of action games, which is the throwable weaponry type. So action games will have you know, like your basic gun, and then they have something like a secondary, like a like a thrown knife or a grenade. These are usually like very powerful, and they're limited in ammo. So Dread deploys a hand a hand thrown gas grenade that knocks enemies out. It's a very powerful attack, and it's basically 
it's made all the more valuable by the fact that it's it's limited in his arsenal. And that fight, those NPCs on the stairs, that leads into the first boss battle, which is a it's a, a sequence that sees several floors of the tower locked down and it pits the judges against three minigun wielded uh, weapon emplacements by Mama and her right hand man, Caleb. So this is a battle that involves timing, dodging, avoiding instant kill a- attacks as the miniguns like tear everything to shreds. And uh, these things are all like classic action game uh, boss fight scenarios. Boss fights, a lot of times they're multi-stage. They have evolving attack patterns. And uh, the abilities of the boss change as the fight progresses. So this fight goes from them avoiding the minigun fire into the second stage, which involves Caleb going after the judges personally with a bunch of NPC bad guys at his back, which of course ends with Dread sending Caleb over the ledge into a hundred story freefall to the pavement below, which is bam, first boss defeated. And he's on slow mo, right? <laughs> is that the scene uh, or am I thinking of a different one? No, there are some scenes where they, they like uh they like shoot people up a slow mo and toss them over the balcony to torture them. Okay. Which is, can, yeah. Can we talk, can we talk about that real quick? Yeah. G- get into it. So I think one of the things that stood out for me the most, I mean, you've already touched on one of the biggest things, which was the acting. I mean, Carl Urban, uh, Lena Headey, unbelievable. Oh my gosh. They're so good at this movie, but the slow-mo man, when, uh, I remember when you and I watched um, what's the movie with NZT? Limitless. Brett, Limitless. I had your NZT today. <laughs> I have not taken it. I need. I I'll double up my dose tomorrow. So um, I remember you saying that that like the Russian guy was the worst possible character or the worst possible person you could imagine being on NZT on this like mind performance enhancing drug. Slow-mo, the way that they utilize this to torture people, this drug that slows down time so that you just like see and feel everything in this elongated way, it's so nefarious and it makes uh, that character Mama just so frightening that she would utilize this. And they kind of, sh- they they just film it really well. Like I remember a, uh, I remember a bath scene with her and it kind of like, Makes you like, wow! I'd want to try that. That looks fun. And then it you looks s- great. And then you Unless hear that they they like give it to somebody before they skin them. And then you're just like, uh, that's the worst possible thing. So this is like a drug that doesn't really have like positives or negatives. It's just a double edged sword depending on how it's utilized. But man, it is just it's such a brilliant uh, part of the story that it just like whenever I think about this movie, I think about the slow mo scenes, man. Slow mo is iconic. And it is it's such a cheap way to do an awesome effect. They throw yeah. like a little bit of a rainbow filter on all the sparkles. And then it's just something <laughs> that's shot at like 3000 frames a second. And you see like when she does the bath scene, she like pulls her arm up out of the water and watches the water as it like slowly peels away from her arm and like becomes like little rivulets and droplets in the air. Yeah. It it just, they, they knew that everything looks awesome in slow motion. (laughs) So it was such an easy way to do that effect. There's everything looks great. There's whole YouTube channels that all that is is just things in slow motion. It's awesome. And gunfights on slow-mo look so dope. Seeing like a bullet, like go in the guy's, his cheek and then like you see his 
His other cheek inflate as the bullet rips out, like his teeth come out. It's it's a good effect, and it is video games 101. Does that does not sound as appealing to watch as uh, Lena Headey in the bathtub? But uh, your point is well received. So let's get back to breaking this movie down. So after this battle, Dredd and Anderson get separated. This it's a move that temporarily removes the second player character their ability to lean on player one with his combat abilities. So in action games, this is a move done to force the players to kind of stand on their own feet. And this forces Dredd to rely on his combat abilities and Anderson to lean on her psychic abilities. Like Gears of War was popular for having sections of the game where the team was split up. And uh, that makes it so much better when you finally meet back up. And during this split, the second boss battle occurs. So this is four corrupt judges. These are judges just like Dread, but they're on the take. They're working for the bad guys. And this is a mobile battle across various environments. It taps into several action game tropes. The first is that there are different enemy types. So there's a warm-up boss, which is a melee battle. It's a set piece designed to show off like the hand-to-hand combat gameplay. The second part is Dread's boss battle with uh, two of the judges. It's a two-on-one. So you have a tank enemy, which is a classic video game enemy. This is the judge that he's wielding the shotgun. So he's got like a specialized high damage output weapon. And uh, you have the shadow enemy, as I call them, which is a character that can entirely match your own abilities one-to-one and maybe has a few additional tricks up their sleeve. This is the second judge in this two-on-one battle. And this is this kind of thing in a game is designed as an ultimate test to the player, essentially making you fight yourself. Because when you're really kicking ass in a video game, you may be fighting boss characters, but if you think about it from the NPC's perspective, you are the boss. You're the one-man army coming in and just mowing down everything of just normal caliber. So when you fight like a shadow enemy, you're forced to see it from the other side, like this is exactly what I've been doing this whole game. This is how powerful I am. And that's a, that's a really interesting enemy to fight in a game. Wow. Yeah, I like that. So th- this fight is kind of reminiscent of something out of Dark Souls. It's a, it's a game notorious for its asymmetric and brutal boss battles. It's like the tagline for Dark Souls is you are dead or you will die. So it's basically like one of the hardest games ever made. And you fight a lot of these like two on two on one battles that just seem... Totally unwinnable. So meanwhile, Anderson, player two, she's been fighting through her own separate storyline using various forms of combat and psychic abilities. And she comes up against her second boss battle also. It's the uh, the fourth corrupt judge. It's a female judge. So they fight it out in an electrical tunnel. And the fight is kind of anticlimactic from a gunfight perspective, but it has a lot of psychic gameplay elements where... She's basically using her abilities, fighting it out in the judge's mind to determine if she's actually an enemy. And then when she figures it out, she just blasts her. But uh, it's it, it showcases what the psychic gameplay may be like in a game like this. You know, there there is a, real quick, and I'm not going to spoil this, there is a, a boss versus boss battle at the end of WandaVision that I am very excited for you to see. That's very unique, (laughs) but that's all I'm going to say about it. But it's sort of like what you're talking about, like a one-on-one boss versus boss 
Um, similar to the uh, very last uh, bonus round of Scott Pilgrim versus the World, but WandaVision style. See, another video game movie designed <laughs> around this this very same concept. For sure. So this is definitely sure. something that happens a lot in games. Definitely, yep. So these battles introduce some other uh, action game tropes, stuff like ammo pickups. That's a standard mechanic of the genre, and it's represented when Dredd strips these four judges for ammo after defeating them all. Uh, this this is, again, something standard you do in games. You rearm by pick, doing ammo drops from the enemies. He even has a health pack that he uses. Yeah. He's seen oh, using man. it after the storylines reconverge. <laughs> he has this thing that kind of like burns his wound closed. And that is, uh, you know, that's pretty much something you're doing repeatedly in action games. And then it also, you kind of get a feel for his different, ammo types is like uh, his unlockable or upgradable weaponry. He has like the hot shot, which is like a white phosphorus bullet or he has high explosive. He has stun rounds. He has split shot all that on top of his default fire mode, which is classic video game inventory stuff. So after they climb a few more floors or levels, if you will, they end up battling through more NPCs. They enter the final boss chamber. So this is mama this is a character you've only been introduced to in cutscenes. You've never seen her in a scene with the with the characters until now. So this battle ends up being a little bit more of a puzzle sequence. Dread outsmarts Mama and defeats her with very little fighting. In a video game, this is the kind of battle that might be represented with a quick time event or QTE. So this was a design trope that was used a lot, like, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, where instead of actually controlling you know, pulling the trigger, you were pushing buttons as they were prompted on screen. And that would make the characters do like complicated actions that you didn't really have the control uh, fidelity to perform yourself. So this is something that's kind of like been phased out of games. It's, it's kind of like an old design philosophy, but that's what I imagine this battle would be as you're kind of defeating mama. And it's from a cinematic point of view, it's very awesome. It, it's dramatic and it works perfectly. But from a gameplay point of view, this final ba- boss battle, it's kind of, it would be kind of lame, which is oddly also classic action game. Like I've played several games where the final boss is a little bit of a letdown because you fought so hard to get there only to have the mechanic for defeating them changed up at the last second. It doesn't really call on all the combat skills you've been honing for the last eight to 12 hours. Well, it makes it makes sense in the narrative though, because Mama is like the mastermind. I mean, she's not she's not going to be like one of these henchmen or like one of these warriors. Like, she is the brains behind this operation, and she got to the top by being like super smart and just like super um, dangerous. And uh, but yeah, no, I mean that's that makes perfect sense. I mean, that's kind of why this happens in games sometimes because they don't always set you up as, you know, the boss battle is the shadow character, which would be the ultimate combat challenge. They set it up where you're you're going after this mastermind and that's why they have all these henchmen following them. But from a narrative point of view, when you get there, it would not make sense for Mama to put up like uh, an amazing gunfight against Dredd. Obviously not. Which is why it works so great in a movie. But in a game, you know, it's 
it's totally the kind of mistake that games make, or they used to make this a lot in, in an attempt to replicate cinematic moments from movies. Because games have always had this association with movies where they want to be movies. And games have become more and more cinematic over over time as the technology improves. And with that came kind of this like pitfall of kind of blowing it for the final boss because it wouldn't make sense narratively to have a 10-minute gunfight with Mama. Do you think it's going to um, change with virtual reality gaming and you have like uh, as much complexity in an open world as you would in the real world? (laughs) Would that change up the way video games are going to be designed and played? If you had the ability to make open world decisions like maybe fighting that boss character fighting a mama on a on like a totally different like next level virtual reality gaming platform might make it more interesting to fight a final boss like mama so you're not you know you don't have to push a a b b up up down down to unleash some move you might actually be able to build in or like bake in those real world mechanics into a sort of fight sequence i don't know i'm just thinking about virtual reality i'd I'd say that's (laughs) exactly right because usually in virtual reality the games are constructed around giving you like ultimate control over your head and arms right and with that Mm -hmm. comes things that you wouldn't be able to do when your your input for the game is move forward move back and shoot you know like those are kind of traditional controls through a to a controller or mouse and keyboard but with vr you're able to do these very intricate movements with your arms. You're able to like switch out equipment. You're able to throw things just a little bit, you know, instead of mm-hmm. just having a an analog input for how hard you throw something. So yeah, right. I, I I think that you're exactly right. VR opens up a lot of possibilities for more interesting gameplay with something like this. Yeah, yeah. So this ends with Mama pumped full of slow-mo, tossed over the rail. In this slow-mo fall, this is like the player's ultimate reward for the game. So it gives you an entire tour of the game world and all the destruction that you've left behind. And in a game, this would be procedurally generated to reflect your actual actions in the game. So this is like, this is where you get to see where you sent Caleb over the rail and where the entire three-story section of the tower is destroyed by the minigun battle or where you fought the four judges, where you took out, like, I don't know, maybe a particularly interesting trash mob battle. You know, that is, <laughs> this is the kind of thing that if I saw in a game, I'd be like, dude, this is this is exactly what I want. Instead of, like, a cutscene at the end, I want to see a recording of all the, ac- all the actions I took throughout the game. Oh, I like that, yeah. So I kind of think of action gameplay. It's like a... It's like a representation of multiple realities. So every time the player dies, a new reality is spawned with the, with the character as they respawn. And this kind of it's representing the concept that if, you know, the universe is infinite and any and all things are possible, the fact that this exact same scenario could play out over and over until you get it right is also possible. And the winning run through the game kind of represents the instance where everything went right for the player. You know, it's like uh, it's the film follows just the action from like a perfect, complete playthrough or like a speed run where all the proper choices were made. 
from the outside perspective, it appears that the protagonist is superhuman with like perfect problem-solving abilities and the ability to complete complex and difficult tasks flawlessly. And when you're watching this movie, you're witnessing what is essentially a speed run of the game after someone has mastered every single element. All the all the deaths, all that is filtered out. You're only seeing the good parts of a final run. It's like if you watch like a two-hour playthrough of the Dread video game on YouTube, you know, that has like two million hits, it would be like a perfect playthrough like this movie represents. It's kind of like the Edge of Tomorrow effect. Right. Well, I mean... Judge Dredd, Carl Urban's chin is such a badass. He's going to get it perfect the first time, every time. <laughs> That's just what he does. And you know, this uh, this format is really nothing new in movies. This kind of, it's similar to Die Hard, but also there's another film that came out around the same time called The Raid Redemption that follows almost this exact same, like, Assault the Tower storyline. So The Raid, it was uh, directed by Gareth Evans. It's... It actually came out a little bit ahead of Dread, but Dread was put into production ahead of it. So people thought that Dread was ripping off the raid, when in reality it was more like a parallel thinking, kind of like a Armageddon deep impact scenario. So the raid is also very great, and if you like Dread, if you love this format, you'd also like the raid. So I'd, I'd make that as a secondary recommendation. I'll have to check that out. Haven't seen that. Haven't heard of that. It's good. So wrap this thing up. I think it's pretty obvious that I think this movie is genius, but not everyone shared my opinion, at least not initially. Like, this movie performed poorly. It made $41 million world, worldwide, $13 million domestic. That was on, on a $45 million budget. So I think part of that was its association with the stupid Stallone movie. Part of it was people thought it was ripping off the raid. Part of it is just that it's this obscure property. You know, it's it's kind of like a victim of circumstances. Like Metacritic gave it a 60, which is very shameful. It had a, has a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is much, much better. But it's definitely found like an aftermarket following. People like me or you who are not concerned with like trying to impress our critic friends, you know, like with all of our reviews. And we're more concerned with just like amazing art. And it's kind of based on this misunderstood yet genius property. And it's executed with so much style it's like one of the most stylish films i've ever seen as far as action goes i mean you know this is like a total master class it's impressively written it's created in a format that would work perfectly across an entire separate genre of content as a movie it's perfectly paced as a game you could almost just carbon copy it over into a third person action game set up a few controls and you'd be like ready to go and it's very rare that something transfers so cleanly from film to game, especially like with video games track record of making really terrible games based on movies. But the fact that it's not a game and more of a deconstruction of the action game format, it's such a great example of the mastery of this movie art form. This is created by fans for fans. It's the definitive piece when it comes to adapting dread for the masses it's been out for almost a decade. Even as like a rabid game player, none of this ever occurred to me until just recently. You know, like I was I was watching this and I had the realization of how perfectly this fits the format. And I realized like it could not have been an accident. But that level of genius needed some time to simmer, like in, in everyone's collective consciousness. For all the unofficial contentologists out there, 
it took a while, I think, for this movie to really hit its stride. But I think all, I think the people that know what's up, they've spoken, and they declared that Dread is something that every action fan should see. Hopefully with a new action game perspective that'll blow your mind once you watch it in this light. So from here on out, you'll always think of Dread as the ultimate cinematic take on action video games. Very nice, Josh. Very nice. I'm impressed. This is a movie that I have seen too many times to count. I absolutely love this film. I have recommended it to so many people, and I cannot believe this, but I have never once made the connection uh, as it being a video game type movie. I mean, you see the uh, more recent Jumanji movie, and it's uh, very well executed, and it's obviously a video game movie. I mean, it's so overt. Um, but this, you would never... I, I, I totally missed it. If it is intentional, uh, the way that you argue that it is, gosh darn, you would never know it, I think. it's uh, It just seems like a fantastic sci-fi or dystopian action film. Um, and I can't wait to watch it again with a totally different perspective. And you heard it here first, folks. Two out of two contentologists, That's the only two that exist for now, uh, they give they give this movie two contentology thumbs up. Uh, Dread is That's really a real a thing. thing. It is a real thing, and it's a fantastic movie. Uh, so thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Um, don't forget, we are on social media. We've got a Facebook. We've got an Instagram. You can follow us at The Content Clearinghouse. We have a Discord, whatever that is, and uh, you can like the show and subscribe and maybe even leave us a nice review on uh, Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. That would be fantastic. Don't forget to take your slow-mo, but not if you're about to uh, throw yourself off the top of a building or get in a horrible car accident or something like that. (laughs) Uh, Let's keep it light here, people. So uh, enjoy Dread. Please uh, let us know what you think, and we'll see you next week. 